My name is Billy. I'm the lead pastor here at the main campus. And if you're new, you're not here by accident. We believe God brought you here because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And we're excited to be along uh, uh, that spiritual journey with you. And so thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we begin a brand new series this morning entitled Resilient, Living Victoriously in a Broken World. I think we all can recognize that the world that we live in is fractured. It's broken because of sin and different things. But it, God's word teaches us how we can live resilient in the midst of that. And I was thinking this morning, you know, I wanted to start off with this question. How many of you have ever wanted to quit at something in your life? How many of you have ever been tempted to go? Some very honest people raise your hand. Thank you. In the earlier service, like, yup, you know, I'm old, no shame, bam, it's me, I quit, you know. Um, and I was thinking about it, you know, all of us have gone through seasons in life or have gone through obstacles where we started something and we said, yes, this is good, I want to do it. But then we hit hard times and challenges come and we're tempted to quit or maybe we have quit. And I, found, I just found some things that I thought would be a little uh, in interesting, but... Like, for example, everyone knows that they should get in shape, right? You kind of know that. And so, you know, kind of to help you do that is you get some gym memberships or a fitness plan or whatever. But did you know that the annual attrition rate or the amount of people who quit their gym memberships or fitness plans is 30%. So 30% of people that sign up for a gym membership quit that gym membership. Now, you may be thinking, well, that means 70% of people keep their gym memberships. That's pretty good. But the question is, how many of them actually use their gym memberships? Right? That's like a whole other like issue, right? But what about New Year's resolutions, right? Research shows that 25% of people abandon their New Year's resolution within two weeks of making that New Year's resolution. <laughs> it should be like New Week resolution, right? That's about as long as it lasted. 30 to 50% of people give up on weight loss programs that they've started. Um, which isn't surprising. I know I've done that many times. Um, did you know that? I didn't know this. This was interesting. 40% of students who begin a college degree end up quitting their college degrees. That, I, that was surprising to me, but that's according to the uh, National Center for Education Statistics. And you've all probably heard this term. You ever heard the term quiet quitting before? That's the idea that you are still physically at your job, but you do the bare minimum Little to no work. You're quiet quitting. You don't want people to know that you've quit internally, but you put in the very least amount of effort possible. But did you know that over one, a 2022 Gallup study found that half of the American workforce were quiet quitters? Half of the American workforce. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, but did you know that there's a new term called loud quitting? I just heard this one. Loud quitting, as the name suggests, is the exact opposite of quiet quitting. You are loudly announcing that I'm not working anymore. <laughs> what it says about loud quitters, they're actively disengaged on the job and not afraid to show it. Unlike quiet quitters, loud quitters are acting out their unhappiness on their way out. According to Gallup, 18% of employees are loud quitting. And they're taking actions that actively harm their organization, undercutting its goals and its leaders. I'm not sure which is worse. Quiet quitters that you don't know don't want to be there or ones that slam the door and break stuff on the way out. I'm not sure which one is worse. And I thought this was kind of funny. How many of you shop online? You guys ever buy stuff online? Don't lie. I know we all buy stuff online. Amazon and Target, come on. We all have, especially during COVID, right? But did you know that 70% of shoppers, online shoppers, put stuff in their carts and then abandon them? We even quit on our online shopping. Come on now. We need to do better, right? Uh, that, 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 that cooling neck fan ain't going to buy itself. Get back on there and pick that up. You know you want it and you know you need it. Don't quit on your online cart. Anyway, I say that jokingly, but, you know, in, in, in life, we, we tend to quit what we start at times. Isn't that true? Or when challenges come up, opposition comes up, I don't know what goes through your mind, but I know what goes through my mind. This is hard and is it worth it? 
Is it worth putting in this effort? Is it worth this sacrifice? And is it worth the discomfort in the moment? Is it worth the price that I'm paying? And very often we go, no, it's not worth the discomfort, so I'm going to quit. But I think all of us know that anything worth having is going to take hard work. It's going to take sacrifice, right? Anything worth doing is worth doing well. I love that statement. And it's going to take hard work to attain the things that not only we know deep down we want and we need, whether it's in sports or jobs or whatever it is, relationships take hard work. But I also know that in my flesh, I don't want to put in that hard work. I want it to come easy. And if it doesn't come easy, then I want to, I want to give up on it. But anything worth having requires resilience. Psychologists say resilience is a necessary trait for mental health. And this is what they say. Resilience is the ability to adapt, cope, recover from significant adversity or stress. All of us are going to face significant adversity and stress in life. It's just life in this broken world. But we need to be resilient and to bounce back. Can I hear an amen to that? Or we'll never have the stuff that we want. We'll never have that successful marriage. We'll never get that promotion. We'll never live the life of joy. And then you translate that to our spiritual lives. We need to be resilient in our spiritual lives. Because there is significant adversity to your life of faith. There just is. To follow this word and to live for Jesus, there's significant adversity, as we'll talk about, that we need to be resilient and overcome if we want the life that God has called for us to live. So resilience is very important. Imagine where our nation would be today if our founders and those who fought to birth this nation and fought hard over the last almost 300 years to protect this nation were not resilient and gave up when things got hard. We wouldn't be celebrating the 4th of July this coming uh, this week. It takes resilience to attain the things of God. Imagine where you would be in your life if you quit every time something got hard. But think about this, and I was thinking about this for myself. Imagine how much further I would be in life if I didn't quit in the past. But imagine how much further I might be if I don't give up in the future. But how about this? Imagine where your children and your grandchildren will be if they see resilience in you today. And it builds faith in them that if they can persevere, I can persevere. If they can endure in faith and in life, then I can endure in life. And the Bible teaches us how we can build resilience in our lives. God gives us his word to teach us how we are to live and to thrive as children of God in this broken planet. And throughout this series, over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack how, how God teaches we can de develop resilience in our lives. And one of the best examples, I got together with our, our preaching team, our different uh, site pastors, and we, we prayed and we talked about what do we feel like the church needs right now. And, and it's this thing called resilience. And as we were talking, we, we, we realized that one of the best examples of resilience is the life of the prophet Elijah found in 1 Kings. And so we're going to take a look at this, and we're going to extract lessons from the life of the prophet Elijah and apply that to our lives of faith and resilience. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. And that's where we're going to begin today. It's where the story of Elijah begins. And um, at, while you're turning there, I want to encourage you, bring your Bible to church. It's always good to have the Word of God in hand. I know you have it on your phone, but if you're looking at your phone, we might think you're texting or on Snapchat. So just hold the Bible, and it just, you know, it just makes me feel better. Anyway. <clears throat> but also it's, it shows other people that this is important. Amen. This, this word of God is important. I'm not saying don't read it on your phone. I do all the time. Anyway, uh, as you're turning there, Elijah the prophet was one of the only men in scripture that never tasted death. He was lifted up to heaven after he finished well. How many of you know that's finishing well? When you don't have to die and God lifts you to heaven. Um, so we're going to extract some lessons from his life. First Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He prophesied a, a drought that was coming to the land. Verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here. 
turn eastward and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, as I, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens bought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts from your word, that we might see how we can build our lives in such a way as to be resilient in our faith. Open up our hearts, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. To understand the story of the prophet of Elijah, you have to understand what was going on in Israel at that time. Israel was being led by a guy by the name of Ahab. He was the king. And Ahab <clears throat> was not a godly king. He ruled between somewhere around 871 to 853 B.C., so kind of a while ago. And rather than leading the nation of Israel in the worship of the God of, the, of, of his people, the God of the Bible, he led his people in the worship of false gods, in the worship of Baal and, and, and the Asherahs. And, and he, he brought the anger of the Lord on the nation as a result. And that's why the prophet Elijah went up and prophesied that there was going to be a, a drought. It was judgment on the nation for turning to worship other gods. Look at what, in, in 1 Kings up on screen 16, this is what Scripture says about Ahab the king. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. How many of you want that said about you? No, put your hand down, right? No. This is not a good reputation to have. I did, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, which was idol worship and other things, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, who was a priestess of Baal, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Baal was a small g, lesser god, probably a demon or whatever. But verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the, an Ashereth pole and said it and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Not a good reputation to have. Not only did he worship this lesser God, Baal, or Baal, however you want to say it, but he built a temple for him. You're not supposed to do that if you're the king of Israel, supposed to lead your people in the worship of the God of the Bible, but he built a temple to Baal and he led the people in the worship of Baal. And he married a woman who was a priestess of Baal and he set up Ashereth poles, which was the worship of the goddess Ashereth. Not what you're supposed to be doing if you're the king of Israel. And it aroused the anger of the Lord. How many of you know that when we turn and worship anything other than God, he's not okay with that? There is one God, amen? There's one God in heaven and earth, the creator God that made it all. And he calls us to worship him alone. Why? Because he's the only one. All of these other gods are lower G gods, lowercase g gods. They're, they're really demonic spirits come to deceive and distract humanity. But that's who the king Ahab turned to worship. And not just himself. He led the nation in the worship of these lower G gods. And it aroused the anger of God. And so he, God raises up a prophet by the name of Elijah who goes and prophesies judgment and says, look, there's not going to be any rain. There's going to be a bad drought and drought brings famine famine brings death amen as a sign to you that you're doing the wrong wrong thing now I can't imagine being uh being Elijah and having to stand up against an ungodly wicked king like this with armies and soldiers and guards and spears and all that but he did first point here in your notes as we talk about and think about the life of Elijah and a life that is resilient is this we need to be resilient against sin and unrighteousness in our own lives it starts there we need to resist and be resilient against the sin and unrighteousness of the culture and of the world that seeks to penetrate our lives. 
All of us, we can look at what's going on around the world and say, well, so-and-so should change that. We should fix that. We should fix that. They need to do these things, right? It's always us against them, but they need to do stuff. But if we don't deal with the junk in our own lives, and we have no authority to deal with what's going on in the culture all around us. We have no authority to deal with it or help people in their journey of faith if we are, ourselves are crumbling. And so it starts with us resisting and being resilient against the external forces that come and press in against us. Again, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like for Elijah, for God to tell him, okay, go and talk to the king, all right? I know you, you know, they, he don't know you. You don't have any power or prestige. Go and tell him that, that he's in sin and that there's going to be judgment coming to the land. I'd be like, who are you talking to? You know what I mean? Like, uh, send that person. Send somebody else. Not me. I don't want to do it. Because you know what's going to happen is there's going to be retribution. Right? They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna want to cancel you. They're going to want to say stuff against you. And there's so much external pressure that comes against us to make us want to compromise. I can't imagine being Elijah living in this community where everyone is worshiping all these other gods and having to stand firm. No, there is only one God. His name is, is Yahweh. And I'm going to worship him and him alone. When everyone else is doing something else. I don't know if you've noticed, but our country isn't exactly in the place of worshiping the God of the Bible. It's de departed from that a long, long time ago. Some would argue it never, we never did, but it's certainly not as bad as it is today. But in this culture, we need to be resilient in our faith. There is one God and we're going to stand for him. One God manifested himself, born in the flesh in Jesus Christ, died on the cross, rose on the third day, giving us proof that he was who he said he was. And he is God alone. Amen. And by the way, one of the ways that you know that the Bible is true is Jesus, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead, he attested to all of the Old Testament. He quoted it not like it was fables, but it, like it was fact. And he said, this is the word of God. He read from it. He taught from it. And then he commissioned his apostles to carry his words on, which is the New Testament, which we, which we have today, that his words would be, would be codified through his disciples. And he himself attested to it. The one who died and rose gave us the Bible, essentially, as we have it today. And that's how we have the proof that what we stand on is the word of God and, and it's firm. But we live in a culture now that doesn't believe that. You can live however you want. Follow your feelings. Follow your heart. Follow your emotions. If it makes you feel good, that's morally right. And anything that restricts your freedom and pleasure, that's morally wrong. We live in an upside-down kind of a society. And you and I are going to have to figure out how to stand strong and be resilient in the faith in the midst of that. In the midst of a society that probably thinks you're crazy for coming to church today. That definitely thinks you're crazy for, 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 for tithing and being generous. Definitely thinks you're crazy that you pray at home and read your Bible at home and worship in your car. But we're going to have to stand firm in the midst of this broken world if we're going to bring the light of Jesus to it. If we're going to bring the hope of the gospel and the hope of eternal life to this world. I can't imagine being Elisha, Elijah, but you and I are kind of in that similar place. There's all these external forces seeking to erode our faith and causing us to compromise. And that's why the first step for us is to resist this all the external uh, pressures and temptations to compromise. And so we can re be resilient and stand firm. I've cited this study before, but <clears throat> I think it was Barna. Yeah, it was Barna that did a study that found that 85% of atheists or people who don't believe in God cite that the number one reason for their unbelief is the hypocrisy of the church, the hypocrisy that they see in the lives of Christians. In other words, they look at Christians and they say, you don't even believe this is true enough to orient your life around it. Why the heck should I believe it's true if you don't even believe it's true? You're a Christian. You believe in Jesus. You wear a cross around your neck. You go to church, but you don't live like it's true. If you don't believe it's true, then why should I? That's what 85% of atheists say. They've seen the hypocrisy. And let's be honest, the church in America has, hasn't exactly been the best example. But you and I, we can do better. Amen? I'll split it this way. We must do better. Not just for ourselves, but so that the world can see, well, there must be power there because the way that you live. 
I'm not saying that we have to be perfect, but, but we have to at least put some effort into it. When we mess up, we want to get it right. When we, when, we do, when we don't do things perfectly, which none of us will, but I want to. Why do you even want to? Because he's real. Why do you even want to? Because he is alive. Amen? And I'm, and I'm going to do my best to follow this Jesus who died and was risen on the third day. And when people see that, not our perfection, but our effort and our intentionality, now that, there's power there. Why would you do that? Why would you go to church on Sunday when you could be at the beach? Because it's 4th of July weekend. Why would you tithe? Why would you be generous when you could use that on something else? Why would you forgive that person when you should be, seek vengeance and retribution? Why? Because I believe in Jesus, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose on the third day. He is God. And when they see that consistency, maybe not perfection, it, it brings conviction, doesn't it? It doesn't make sense. And smoke starts to come out of their ears. But, I, but you're a good person. But you're normal. But you love your family. And you believe that in this Jesus, it causes that cognitive dissonance that is necessary for faith to come. But if we compromise and we acquiesce and they look at our lives and they see nothing different and they see the hypocrisy, then they're going to go, yeah, I knew there was nothing there. I knew it was all just manipulation. I knew it was all just garbage anyway. And they, they're let off the hook of having to wrestle with the word. But Elijah had to stand firm in this broken world. And so do you and I. Amen. We have to stand firm. If we want to be a light, we have to stand firm. What are the areas in, in our lives today where, there is, where, we're being, where we're being tempted to compromise? Where we're being tempted to compromise, standing firm in faith, compromise the word of God. Maybe it's some moral decision or whatever it is. What is that? Because it's those areas that if we can stand firm, we become a light to the world with our love and our faithfulness to Jesus. But there are so many forces trying to infiltrate our spiritual lives and erode our faith. You know, in pop culture, the enemy isn't even hiding anymore. It's overtly anti-Christian is really the term. You know, back in the day, you know, people used to think, that, oh, you know, all rock music, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're worshiping the devil, you know. Well, here's some images, hang on. But, you know, they, but you had to like, you know, you had to like play the record backwards to hear, you know, Satan, you know what I'm saying? But nowadays, it's, it's like overt. These are some images from some very popular artists. On the top, you see Sam Smith. On the right, you see a Taylor Swift music video. Uh, so a little bit more T-Swizzle there. And then on the bottom, little Nas X. These aren't even obscure pop artists. These are like the top 10, you know, billboard top whatever. I don't even pay attention to that stuff anymore. But these are the top. This is what is being pushed on our society and our community and our children. Like I said, back in the day, you had to play the Beatles record backwards to find some demonic images. Now it's just like, bam, right in front of you. The devil's not even hiding anymore. Because back in the day, it wouldn't have been accepted as much. But now it's like, yeah, this is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worship Satan. Yeah, no big deal. You know, before Sam Smith's Grammy performance earlier this year, he's the dude on the top left with the, the hat, the horns coming out. He tweeted this right before his Grammy performance. I think we have a picture of it. Go throw that up. This is what he tweeted. You can't maybe read it, but I'll read it to you. Right before his Grammy performance, he tweeted, this is going to be special with the devil horns emoji right to the right. But more disturbing than that to me is if you look at CBS's official Twitter page, responded and said this, you can say that again, we are ready to worship. We're ready to worship. Did they not know what Sam Smith's performance was going to be depicting? No, they knew that. And they said they used the word worship. Now, whether they are intentionally meaning we're going to worship Satan at this thing, I can't read into their motivations. But... You, you, you certainly see the correlation there. Now, whether they mean worship in the sense of artistic freedom or license expression, whatever, I don't know. But the devil's not hiding. Whether they are wittingly participating in worshiping false gods like Baal, Ashereth, or, or Mo, uh, the, the, whatever, or, or unwittingly, 
The devil is not hiding. Whether these humans know what they're doing or not, the devil's not hiding. And he's trying to put these images in our minds to make us think it's normal, it's okay, it's trivial, it's this, it's that, it's common, when really it's not. That's what was happening in Israel. Circa 871 with the worship of all these gods led by King Ahab. I don't think King Ahab woke up one day saying, you know what, I'm tired of this Yahweh God. We're going to follow another God and let's build a temple. It was probably small deviations over time. Small deviations over time. And the vector kept on getting wider and wider and wider until, you know what, let's build a temple to this false God. By the way, Baal worship was characterized by human sacrifice and child sacrifice as early as the second millennia B.C. And so this is not a good thing. But we see the similar thing happening in our culture. And we have to be wise to that. I don't let my kids listen to pop music because it's garbage. I don't want them being bombarded with messages. I'm not saying you have to do that. It's between you and the Lord. But that's what I do. I don't want them hearing these messages, overt or implicit. I don't want them to hear that. I want them to hear the word of God that will shape their lives, that will help them to live faithfully in this broken world. But we got to watch ourselves. Amen. That these external images and messages don't shape us. Now, am I saying be the prophet Elijah, bang on, you know, Sam Smith's door and, you know, prophesy a drought? No, don't do that. You'll probably get arrested, okay? I'm just saying, and you'll look crazy in the meantime. But it starts with us. If we are, don't guard our own soul and our faith is eroding, even if you bang on his door, it ain't going to change nothing. Even if you blast it all over social media, it's not going to change anybody if you're compromised, if I'm compromised. We have to make sure that our, our, our faith is solid first. Can I hear an amen to that? And then with that conviction, we can stand and tell people that know us and love us and trust us that there's a better way. That this is not going to lead to life and prosperity and thriving. It's going to lead you to driving into the harbor like I shared a couple of weeks ago. It's not going to lead you to where we want to be in life. It just is not. But we can't be ignorant to the fact that the devil is bombarding us with images and messages that will drive us away from faithfulness. It will drive us away from honoring God. Like I said, I don't think Ahab just flipped a switch one day and decided I'm going to worship another God. It was probably little decisions, little influences that he didn't catch along the way that then one day turned him to full-on denying the God of the Bible and worshiping a demonic spirit. What about us? we got to catch these small vectors early. Can I hear an amen to that? And so the job of every Christian is to filter every idea, every thought through the lens of the Word of God. God, what do you think about this? Does this honor you? Is this what I want to put into my life? Because if we allow false messages into our lives, that's who we're going to become. Or if we allow the word of God to pervade and to persist and to override that, we'll become more like Jesus, which ultimately is the goal, right? So we have to guard what we allow in. We have to guard ourselves, resist the external pressures and temptations of the world so that we can live resilient in the midst of it all. Number two, we see we must be prepared to stand for Christ amid pressure and persecution. Pressure and persecution will come to every believer. How many of you love the promises in the Bible? Yeah? How many of you love the promises in the Bible? I promise you, you're not going to like this one, okay? <clears throat> gotcha. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of not just some, the love of most. I don't know how to quantify that, but that doesn't sound good. If we don't resist the external temptations, our love for God will grow cold. Which, by the way, I don't want my kids to listen to that music. Not because I think the music will send them to hell. It's because if their love for God grows cold because of all these external pressures and loves, that's really the issue. It's not, it's not watching an R-rated movie, oh my God, you're going to go to hell. No, you're not. But if the love in your heart for God grows cold, that's the problem. That's what he's saying here. Because of the increase of witness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
the one who stands firm. The Bible all but promises that we're going to face temptations and trials of many kinds. In fact, that's what Jesus said. In this world, you will face trials of many kinds. The prom- that's a promise in the scripture that I don't like. But we can stand firm to the end. Amen? We can persevere. Look at what James, the apostle James said, the half-brother of Jesus. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In other words, if you don't let your heart get tainted and your heart grow cold and to resist God and to reject God, there is a crown of life waiting for you when this life is over. There is a reward waiting for us for remaining faithful to God. And when we stand for God, we will be persecuted. You might not get the promotion. You might get passed up for someone who will do the immoral thing at work. Maybe you, will, maybe you won't get that job that you wanted because you didn't want to go to the strip club and do that deal, you know, in that way. Maybe you won't get, you know, brought onto that team and you might miss out on some financial gain because you're standing for righteousness and you're standing for Christ. Maybe you might get canceled. Your social media will be deplatformed if you care about that. But all kinds of things can happen to us in the persecution. And as, as the world grows further and further away from the word of God, it could get so much worse. I mean, in China, I was just talking to a friend yesterday who, who was literally held at gunpoint by Chinese communists for being a Christian. And you go, that, that'll never happen in the United States of America. Really? I don't think anybody thought the Grammys would feature a satanic performance and that the CBS would tweet worship in relation to it. The world's changing fast, isn't it? We have to make sure that we're ready to be resilient in the midst of this broken world. They could take away your job. They could take away your business. They could take away all this kind of stuff. How will you stand faithfully for God in that? That's really the test of our soul. Or will our love grow cold? How can we be resilient in this broken world? Number one, we can be resilient when we follow God's word. When we follow God's word. And I'll add, when we build our lives on God's word. It's the word of God. Again, given to us by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the human authors. But Jesus, again, attested to the veracity of the Old Testament. He didn't teach it like it was fables. He taught it like it was fact. And he gave us the New Testament through his apostles and the word that he gave. And so it's the, the power of the resurrection that proves the veracity of this word. So if you can disprove the resurrection, then you don't need to read this Bible. But if you can't, and Jesus is this, the Son of God, resurrected from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, then this is his word. And we have to follow it. We don't have to like it, <laughs> but we have to follow it because he is God. And I love this. We can be resilient when we follow the word of God. And that's what Elijah Elijah did. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, so he did what the Lord had told him. How many of us want that said about us? The word of the Lord came to me, and I did what he told me all the time. (laughs) I wish I could say that. I can't say that. There are many times where the word of the Lord comes to me, and I go, I don't know about that. I don't want to do that. Or maybe I start good, and then I quit. A resilient life builds their life on the word consistently. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes to to Timothy, his disciple. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Dang, there's that promise again. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do you stand up against this world? We need to allow the word of God to shape our hearts. Not to be shaped by the ideas and the values of this world, but to be shaped by the word of God. Look at what Jesus said. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... 
not just hears them but puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built their house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. The word is our foundation. We need to build our lives on the word, which means we need to hear his voice through the word. We need to put work in to get the word of God into us. Now, I know there are no pictures in this Bible, at least not in mine, uh, but you can get some. There, you know, my kids have this cool animated one, but whatever. Um, there are no words. It's going to take work to put this word into our lives, but it's worth it. Because again, if this, uh, this is the word of God, then it would be really wise for us to put it to work in our lives. If Jesus said, not just hears these words, but puts them into practice, then I better put it into practice in my life if I want to be resilient and experience his blessing in his life. It's one of the reasons why here at Pearlside Church, by the way, brief commercial, we have a bunch of uh, different classes to help equip, help equip you. Go, go to the first slide. You hear us talk every week about our growth track. One of the things that we say is if you're new to the faith or new to the church, your next step is to join our growth track. And it's four weeks where we, we put four weekends, four, four, serve, four Sundays where we, we give you the basics of what it means to be a Christian, how to begin to walk with them and get started on your journey. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, we've had a lot of people that have, you know, a lot of you are military, you've moved from other places and have, have told us, man, this was so helpful. Even though I grew up in church, it's so helpful to hear it in this way. It's even just a refresher. So even if you've been a Christian for a long time, we just revamped it for 2023. want to encourage you, take it again. Get refreshed in the word of God as the foundation. Um, but... We also have our Freedom Weekend, which is a Saturday, about half of a Saturday morning uh, till about lunchtime or so, where we unpack how to live free in Christ and what the Word of God says about how we can experience freedom from the burdens and the bondages and even demonic strongholds. Very important. We also have our, our discipleship track, which is just recently revamped for 2023 as well. Where in that, we teach you how to read the Bible. How do you read the Bible? How do you pray? How do you, uh, you know, walk through certain things? How to be a disciple, but also how do we make disciples? How do I share my faith? How do I explain this to somebody else who doesn't understand? Uh, I think it's a very, very helpful thing. And all of it is to help us build our lives on the Word of God. These classes aren't magic. They're not miracles, but it'll help put tools in our hands that if we practice them when we're out there, you know, we, we got a good shot. We also have, go to the next slide. <clears throat> These are our some of our Life Matters courses that we have. Uh, the first one there, you see Celebrate Recovery. If, you know, whether it's alcohol addiction, drug addiction, or just any other uh, hang-up in your life, Celebrate Recovery is a Bible-based, Scripture-based program that will help you to work through those issues in your life. Every Monday night, we have an amazing team that leads that. And people are experiencing freedom in Christ through coming through our Celebrate Recovery program. Whether it's, like I said, addictions or other emotional things that, that are going on in life. There's a lot. Relational, you know, situations. Celebrate Recovery is a great option. It's a great thing, again, to build our lives on the Word. We also have our marriage huddle, which helps strengthen our marriages with the Word of God. How many of us know? I need help in my marriage. Anybody else? All right. So I need the Word of God to help me. Um, my wife would probably be saying, amen, really loud. Maybe she is in the kids' area, but <clears throat> she's over there. Yes. No. Um, and for those of you who aren't yet married, we have our premarital class, again, to build our lives on the Word of God. The things that the enemy attacks most are marriage and family. We need to build strong on the word, amen. We also have Financial Peace University where it help us to understand how biblically we can steward the resources that God has given us. And we've seen tons of people get out of debt and find financial freedom through going through these things. So these are resources for us. Again, none of them are magic. They're not going to change your life, but it'll give you the tools from the word that if we put into practice, you will experience a great measure of freedom. And then lastly, go to the last slide. 
We have these other resources. Our one-to-one book is a really simple, uh, real basic. It's like this thin, and there's even an app you can download on it. Just really basic foundations of what it means to be a Christian and how to walk with God. You can read it yourself, but we prefer that you'd go through it with somebody else, where someone else can walk you through these chapters. And you don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to have a seminary degree. If you can read, you can walk someone else through the one-to-one book. Answer questions. How do, how do you apply this? How did you wrestle with lordship? How did you wrestle with baptism and forgiveness and all these things? And you can encourage someone else's faith. You know, there's a lot of our friends and our family that would never come to a class here at Pearlside, but they'll sit down with you over coffee. Maybe they'll sit down with you at Zippy's, and you can take out the one-to-one book and help them understand this journey of faith and walk them through that. Um, we also have their, the purple book right in the middle, <clears throat> which, is our, which is like a Bible study book. And a lot of people don't like doing homework, so not not a lot of people do the purple book. But it makes you actually open up the Bible and find out what the scripture actually says about X, Y, or Z topic. And you write it in yourself. You know, it's some homework, but some of you are are wired that way. I love it. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not overstating this. When I did the purple book, it changed my idea of God. and And it strengthened my faith in a way that I can't explain. Because I had to open up the Bible and say, wow, it really does say that. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Over here? And I flip over there. Oh, wow. Look at what it says there. And it helped me to understand the Bible so much more. Some of you may want to do that. And then lastly is our Purpose Driven Life book written by Pastor Rick Warren where it's, you know, 42 weeks or so, small, easy chapters written at a fifth grade level to help us lay the foundations of faith for ourselves. But we would love it if you even go over it with somebody else. And again, you don't need a seminary degree. If you can read moderately well, (laughs) you should be able to help someone else just using these tools. What's my point? There's ample resources for us to be anchored in the word. To be honest, there's no excuse. I mean, you can even go on Google and, and, and search up any topic that you have a question on. I mean, you got to be careful because there's some weird stuff out there. But for the most part, if it's in the Bible, it's pretty good. We have no excuse not to build our lives on the word. We can't say, I don't have access like the first century Christians. You can't say, I don't have access to the word like the Christians in communist China where if they find a Bible on you, you're thrown in prison and or killed. Even pages of the Bible are being ripped so that they can have just a little bit of scripture in their, in their pocket so that they can read it and they can hide it from the authorities. We don't have that excuse. We just don't have the will. We don't have the will to build our lives on the word. Should we be confused why we're not experiencing the blessing of God maybe? Should we be confused why we're not experiencing the presence of God in our prayer times, in our worship times? Should we be confused when, we're, when our marriages are challenged and our relationships are challenged if we're not building our lives on the word of God when it's amply available to us? I think the saints in, 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 in heaven right now are looking back in time and they're looking back at us right now going, man, you have so much resources. What are you doing with that? And we shake our fists at God. God, how come, you know, I gave you all the resources you need and more. You just don't have the will to use it. We need to build our lives on the word of God. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. And when the pressures come, there's going to be more pressure on the inside. Have you ever tried to crush a soda can that was like empty? Easy, yeah? I can do it. My kids can do it. But if, you, if that soda can is full, not even as strong as I did this at a UH football chapel one time. I got the biggest guy I could find. He couldn't crush it. He couldn't crush a soda can that was full. If you're filled with the word of God, you can't be crushed. You cannot be crushed. But if you're empty... Or you're filled with a whole bunch of garbage, it doesn't take much. Like I said, my children can do it. What are you full of? <laughs> full of something. Yeah. yeah, we're all full of something. The question is what, right? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Lastly, we can be resilient when we trust in the Lord to provide. 
We can be resilient when we, when we build our lives on the Word. We can be resilient when we trust in the Lord to provide. So Elijah did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirath Ravine. He was essentially exiled. He got canceled by King Ahab. So he had to flee there knowing that his life was in danger. And look what it says. I love it. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Man, if God can provide for Elijah with ravens and from a brook, he can provide for you and me. Amen? Because oftentimes one of the fears is if I stand for God, what's going to happen? What if I lose my job? What if I don't get a promotion? What if I get canceled? What if this? What if that? What if that? That's what happened to him. He essentially got canceled, and they were going to cancel his life. They wanted to kill him, and so he had to flee, but the Lord provided for him there. I mean, when you stand for God, God can and he will provide for you, even if the world is against you. If he can provide Uber Eats through a raven, he can provide for you and me, amen, when we stand for I mean, that must have been a trip, you know. I don't know if Elijah was expecting it, but he sat there and all of a sudden the raven's coming. Oh, he's got bread and meat, you know. It wasn't just like herbs. Like it was, it was legit food. I would have been tripping out. Anyway, but if God can do that for him, he can do the same for us and provide for us in miraculous ways. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He will. We can stand firm knowing that God will provide. He will provide for our lives. But most importantly, and this is super important, he will provide for your eternal life. For your eternal life. Because one day, no matter what we do, this life will end. Amen. None of us can escape death. None of us will escape death lest the Lord come back. And more important than what he does for us in this life is the eternal life that's waiting for us. Because of, this is what Ephesians says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We can trust in him. That just as God raised Jesus from the dead through Christ, you and I will be raised to eternal life one day. That even if they take away everything from us, whatever the world powers are, they cannot take away eternal life in Christ. No one can. We need to trust in him. That even if we lose everything in this life, our lives are only beginning when this life is over. And there is a reward waiting for our faithfulness. I want to close with this story. One of my favorite modern last, you know, hundred years example of resilience is through two missionaries by the name of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you may have heard this story. Uh, their story was made into a movie many years ago called The End of the Spear. <clears throat> but Jim and Elizabeth Elliot felt called to preach the gospel to the Wadani tribe of the Aka Indians in an isolated jungle in Ecuador. So far, far away from their homes in, in the United States. And so they, they knew it was going to be dangerous. The Aka Indian were known to be violent and fought for generations in bloody conflicts within their tribes. Often genocide happened on a regular basis within these multiple tribes in Ecuador. And when Jim and Elizabeth Elliot heard about how the Aka killed one another in one bloody genocide after another, they felt compelled to help them find peace in Christ reconciliation and forgiveness in Christ. Many people, especially their family, challenged them not to go because they knew it would be dangerous. But instead of listening to the voices of others, which were well-meaning, they obeyed the word of God and they went. They faced many hardships while living among uh, the Aka. Uh, they were able to lead many to Christ, teaching them about forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace in Jesus. And things were looking good. It looked like revival was happening and, and peace was coming to these warring tribes. But on January the 8th, 1958, Jim... And four other missionaries, Peter Fleming, Ed McCulley, Roger Yonderlin, Yonderin, and Nate Saint, were attacked 
and killed by Akka warriors who viewed them as a threat. They were killed while trying to serve these people. In his journal dated October 28, 1949, Jim Elliott stated how he believed his calling to reach the Akka was more valuable than his own life. And he gave this famous quote, and then you can see a picture of his journal right there. And this is what the quote said. You can go to the next one. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim understood, I may give my life, but the reward in heaven is so much greater. I can give my life. I can't keep it anyway. Whether I die today, next week, or 50 years from now, I can't keep this. But what I cannot lose is the eternal reward for a life well lived faithfully for God. Several years later, Jim and four others were killed. What's remarkable to me is not just the faith of Jim and what he stated there. It's the faith of his wife, Elizabeth. The resilience in his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. More amazing to me is Elizabeth Elliot's faith. After her husband and his team were murdered, she stayed in Ecuador with their, 10 -month -old, their then 10-month-old daughter and continued to share the gospel with the same Indians who murdered her husband. Demonstrating love, forgiveness, in Jesus Christ and grace, which is a powerful picture of the gospel. How many of you know people don't care about our words, they see our actions. She stayed behind and not just preached the gospel, she demonstrated the gospel by loving the very people who took her husband's life. One of the Indians who got saved was a, was a guy by the name of Minkaye. And Minkaye was one of the men who carried out the attack that murdered her husband and the four others. Minkaye became one of the leaders of the tribe and led them into real revival. Anthropologist James Boaster said that Christianity served as a way for the Wadani or the Aka Indians who escaped the cycle of violence in their community since it provided a motivation to abstain from the killing. Forgiveness, love, mercy. Where did they see that? They saw that in Elizabeth Elliot. Forgiving them gave them the motivation to forgive one another through generations of warfare and killing. That's a picture of resilience, isn't it? stand and to continue to love even after that amazingly horrible injustice. Today, anthropologists estimate that 40% of the Wadani Aka Indians profess to be Christians because of the love that was demonstrated by Jim, Nate, missionaries, and Elizabeth, who stayed back to demonstrate the ultimate picture of the gospel, loving your enemies. Because ultimately, isn't that what Jesus did? He went to the cross. And he died, not for friends, but for enemies. And while he was hanging there being murdered, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's resilience. Where does that come from? It doesn't come in a, in a moment of emotion. It comes when you build your life on the word of God. When this word is far more pervasive than the voices of the world, even far more powerful than our own emotions and feelings in the moment, and we choose to live according to the word. The world will say, oh, you're being inauthentic. No, 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 I'm being authentic to God and who he is. And the word begins to change our hearts. But as she did that, as they did that, revival broke out. And on January 15, 2015, Elizabeth was reunited with her husband, Jim, in heaven. And I'm sure she was not just greeted by Jim, but by hundreds, if not thousands, of Aka Indians who are in heaven because of her love and sacrifice. That's why we need to be resilient. Not so that Jesus will love us. He already does. We need to be resilient so that other people can see the love of God in us. I need to be resilient so that my kids will see the love of God in me. My grandkids and my neighbors and their kids 
You need to be resilient for your co-workers and everyone in our lives. We all do. That's the power of the gospel. It's not just words. It's to change our lives. But we have to allow the word to change us first. Can I hear an amen to that? This morning as we close, we're going to partake of communion together. And as we partake of communion, I don't know about you, but I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. Not that I've turned away from him in any way. But all of us get distracted from time to time. Isn't that true? All of us begin to chase after other things and allow other influences to shape us. But I'd like us to come to a place of rededication and recommitment. There is only one God who became flesh in Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, and on the third day was raised to life for our sins. He's the only one that deserves our hearts and our worship. Can I hear an amen to that? Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we pause in this moment. And in fact, just right where you are, we just take a moment and quiet your spirit. Father, what are the ways that we've turned away from you? Maybe not in major ways of full-on renouncing the faith, but what are the ways that we've allowed our hearts to grow cold? Maybe it's through desiring things that we know are not good for us and ungodly. Maybe it's chasing after selfish ambition and putting you on the shelf. Maybe it's putting you third, fourth, fifth in our priority list as we chase after all these other things. Whatever it is that we've put above you, God, today we choose to put you in your rightful place. There is no other God but our God. There's no other God than the one that became flesh in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again. There is no other. So Jesus, today we reaffirm our commitment to you, our love for you. And as we partake of communion this morning, we ask for your help to walk this out, to be resilient, not just for ourselves, but for the people you've placed around us, that they may see you through us. We pray this in Jesus' name.